Well, it's good to be with you all this morning um, and, uh, and whatnot. Our text this morning is in the book of John, uh, chapter 14. It, it's, uh, you know, we've got to kick Mike out of the country more often if that's what it takes to, to get up here. The, 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 the great benefit for us is that we're going to see Bernie on social media uh, this week because Mike takes pictures. Whenever they travel together, Mike takes pictures of Bernie, and they end up on social media, and Bernie never is on social media and would never have his picture on social media. So that's going to be fun to, to see. So uh, John chapter 14, uh, we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to go uh, through verse uh, 26. Um, so uh, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus to his disciples says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it neither, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will, be with, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and you will see me no more. But you will see, but you will see me, because I live, and you also will live. In that day you will know that I in, in, that I am in, the, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and bring you to remembrance, bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Let's pray. Father, again, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is timeless, that it continues to um, bear fruit in the lives of your people, that it continues to um, bear fruit in um, transforming uh, men and women, boys and girls, um, uh, both those who were once uh, dead or who are dead into those who are living and those who were once dead into those who um, continue to be transformed into the image of your Son. We pray even now as we gather around your word that you would continue to conform us, your people, uh, into the image of Jesus and that you would um, uh, continue to um, uh, transform us into those who long to obey every word that you've commanded. In Jesus' name, amen. So from what I understand, you're walking through a series um, that is that is associated with a, a, a book written by Don Whitney uh, on um, diagnosing spiritual health. And Don Whitney is a great guy. I had the chance to study a little bit with him uh, when I was doing some postgraduate work at Southern Seminary. He has the neatest, cleanest beard you'll ever see. If, if you want to know how to groom a beard, uh, much better than I do, much better than Paul does, um, you'll want to you'll go talk to Don Whitney. Don Whitney keeps a very, very uh, tight beard white beard. Um, 
and um, he's a professor of spiritual theology uh, there at Southern. And one of the great things about a book like the one that Don has, has written in the chapter that we're looking at today, which is, uh, is about are you more sensitive to God's presence? Like, as you're growing in, in faith, whether you're uh, um, someone who... Um, whether you're someone who's outside of the family of God, whether you're someone who's brand new in the family of God, or whether you're someone who has been walking with Jesus for years, are you more sensitive to God's presence? Um, one of the great things about Don's book is it's, it's a great supplement, right? So as we look at this text today, I'm not going to teach through Don's points. You can, I, I trust that you can read. Um, but it's a great supplement to what, what the scriptures have said. So I would encourage you to, to take that chapter and to look at what he says. But our text today has Jesus with his disciples, and they're gathered uh, uh, together, and this is long, this long group of teaching, or this long block of teaching from, from uh, midway through John 13, through John 16, as he's beginning to prepare his disciples for his, his arrest, his betrayal, um, his, his uh, trial, his crucifixion, his... Um, his separation from them, uh, at least for that short period of time, then his, his um, resurrection and uh, eventually his ascension. And here he's beginning to, to tell them that he's going to go away from them, but he's not going to leave them alone. He's going to send them another one, a helper, right? He's going to send them uh, the Spirit of God, the, the helper, the paraclete, right, who is going to come and who's going to be with them, right? Um, and, and so we're going to look at what that means with, the, with regard to, to God's presence. So this idea of are you more sensitive to God's presence, first thing I want to just kind of to, to, um, draw out, and, and Don does draw this out in his book, is uh, before we get into the text, is um, because of the nature of God, um, his presence um, is with you all of the time. Now, we, some of us more than others, um, are a feeling-oriented people. Now, I'm not really, but most of us. So those of you who know me know that that's true. Um, but most um, 21st century Western people are led by their feelings. And so oftentimes we feel that God is not present with us. And so we feel that, I, uh, that, that either God is or isn't present with us, right? And so he's either with us or he's not with us. Right, and so we have these. Sub, we're, we're led by that which is subjective, and so today I feel alone. I don't understand that, but that's what I'm told. Um, so I, I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God has left me alone, and so I don't feel the presence of God. I feel as if He has um, uh, abandoned me in a situation or in a circumstance. And what we need to rest in, regardless of how we feel, because our circumstances don't define our reality, God is, God does, is that because of the nature of who God is, that God is a spirit and God is everywhere, um, is, that, is that he is always all around us. And he has never abandoned us. Even in this promise that he says to his disciples, like, I will not leave you as orphans. I will never abandon my people. All right? You're... Feelings may cause you, and, and, I, and I would actually argue that the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you're in a place of sinfulness, will cause you to feel isolated or abandoned 
Um, it, but that's just the Spirit of God drawing you to a place where you're desirous uh, for communion with the Lord. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But, but um, are you more sensitive to God's presence? Um, understand, God has never left you. Um, throughout history, um, the thing that makes God's people unique in the world is that God has always dwelt with them. Right? Um, it's not so much the things that they do, it's not the, the conquests, like when you read through the Old Testament and you see the things that Israel does and or accomplishes, you see the great stories of faith, you read, through, you read about the, the patriarchs or you read about David or you read about the prophets and you see these people, it would be easy to think that the thing that makes them distinct or unique in the world are the great exploits of faith that they've accomplished. But that's not the thing that makes the people of God unique or distinct in the world. The thing that makes the people of God distinct in the world is the presence of God among them. And we see that traced all the way from Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation 22. Right? So in Eden, right, the thing that, that makes uh, Adam and Eve uh, uh, distinct is, is that, that they dwell in a garden. And who is in that garden with them? God himself, he walks in the cool of the garden with them, right? And when, when, when they sin against him, when they reject his word, right, what does God do? He expels them from the garden, which is a really cool place because it has everything that you and I could ever want. But the reason what, that that is death for them is because they're cast out of the presence of the Lord. Right? They're no longer able to dwell with Him as their temple. Right? They're no longer able to dwell in an unfettered relationship with Him right? in a place where sin uh, isn't blocking their access to Him. And so death is introduced into the narrative. As, as you read through then the story, you see that at Sinai, when God brings back His people into uh, a, a relationship with himself and, and reestablishes their identity. Shortly after that, he introduces the tabernacle, right? And and for us, again, in the 21st century, reading back through history, it's easy to think, ah, tabernacle, it's a building. It's a place where we come and we gather. That's not what the tabernacle was about at all. Although it was a place where the people could come and they could offer sacrifices and they could do this or that. The, tab, the, the, the primary purpose of the tabernacle was it was the place where God physically, the presence of God physically dwelt in the midst of the people of God. Right? And it was what made the people of God distinct amongst all of the other people in the world. To the point that when the, the Israelites were entering into Canaan and, and, and going and, and, and conquering that land, the, the nations that they were um, coming up against began to fear them, not because they had some sort of army, great army, right? Because they didn't. There were a million peasants, a million slaves that came up out of the wilderness. The, the nations began to fear them because the creator God dwelt amongst them and went before them, right? And then eventually that tabernacle became the temple and God continued to dwell amongst his people. Right? And we, so we see that the presence of God in His people, in and amongst His people, is what makes them unique. And all of that changes 
when Jesus comes on the scene, the very temple of God, the very presence of God, right? John chapter 1, right? That the word became flesh and tabernacled, made his presence dwell amongst us. And so the pinnacle of human history are those 30 plus years that the Son of God dwelt in and amongst the people of God, the very presence of God, right? The word made flesh dwelling amongst the people of God. And then Jesus makes this promise to, to his followers, to his disciples. I'm going to go. And you can imagine their, their consternation. You're going to what? You're going to go? We, do want, we don't want you to go. No, no, it's going to be better for you. How could it be better? Like, we have the best thing right here. How could it be better? How could, like, if you're, if you're a, a fan of a sports team, when they deconstruct your great sports team and they're going to rebuild it, and you're like, why, why would you do that? Why would you trade away our best player? Right? Now, this is that times a gazillion. We're getting rid of what? It's not going to be better if you go. No, no, no. It's going to be much better if I go. Because if I go, then I can send, I can send a helper. Right? And this, this idea of helper, this word that he uses here in John chapter 14, is an advocate. Um, some of your translations may say a, um, a, a counselor. Right? So um, this, this idea of one who pleads your case. One who comes alongside of you and helps you, empowers you, equips you, pleads your case. One who goes before you, who comes after you, who comes alongside of you. right? One who, who dwells in your midst and empowers you to do all that God has called you to do. That's what, that's what Jesus is doing. And so as the people of God, we become this new temple. Because the presence of God is no longer in a building, it's in us. And that's why Paul can say that, that you're the temple of God. Because the Spirit now dwells right here. Right? And that's what makes us, as the people of God, unique and distinct in the world. Right? It's not that we do these great exploits of faith, although I hope that you're a man or a woman of faith who walks in obedience, that's what we're going to see in a minute, walks in obedience and trusts the Lord. But what makes you unique in the world is that the shed blood of Christ has covered you and now the Spirit of God dwells within you and, and it's God's presence in the midst of God's people, both individually and corporately, that makes us unique and distinct in the world. And eventually all of that leads to the consummation, new heavens, new earth, when when God wipes away every tear, comes back, restores all things, and then God dwells with us once again. Right? That's what makes heaven tremendous, is He dwells with us. His presence dwells with us. Right? And, and we have no need of a temple anymore because He is our temple. And so the disciples get a foretaste of this in John chapter 14 that the presence of the Spirit of God is going to recast them as a new temple. And the context of this, he says, is that if you love me, verse 15, you'll keep my commandments. Sounds very conditional statement, Ian. I don't think, I don't think that's what Jesus means here. He's just really describing a relationship. That you're brought into a relationship with me. If you love me, if you're one who I've redeemed, reconciled, brought back into relationship with the Father, right? We have this relationship 
then you are going to obey me. Right? So it's not so much um, uh, if you love me, you'll obey me and earn my favor, earn my love. But um, if you're one who has been brought into relationship with me, that will then be demonstrated by the way in which right, you love and obey me. Those two things, they go hand in hand. And so the presence of the Spirit of God or recasts God's people as the new temple. And so it facilitates both relationship and representation. And I would actually argue that all of the scriptures from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is about, part of it, is, is showing that God's people have been created for relationship and representation of Him. And that relationship, that love, if you love me, then you'll obey me. Sorry, so that love is that relationship aspect. And that obey, in the many ways that we obey, becomes part of how we represent him to the world. So he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. This is Jesus pleading to the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. So we receive a gift from, from the Father and the Son, right? The Spirit, right? Not less than the Father, not less than the Son, um, of the same essence, of the same um, uh, substance as the Father and the Son, but sent from the Father and the Son, um, a gift that the world cannot receive. You know Him, right? right? So you're in relationship with Him, uh, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. There he's talking about the world will see me no more, but you will see me. I'll, I'll, I'll be dead. I'll rise. You'll see me. And because I live, you will also live. Because I raise, I've, I've resurrected, you will also live. You will have eternal life because of what um, I have overcome. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you and me, and I and you, this relationship. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Right? And so again, there's this, there's this picture of relationship and representation. Right? And so I, I want to come to this, this fourth point here, that the practice of presence, of spending time, includes right, time with, right? there's this relationship it includes time with Jesus, spending time with him. And for us here in the 21st century, right, modern time, how do I spend time with Jesus? The primary means by which I spend time with him is I spend time with him in the scriptures, right? I spend time with him in prayer. Those are the, the two primary means. Now, there are other disciplines that you and I can engage in, right? But they center around those two primary means, right? So I can spend time in silence or in solitude, but I'm generally, even in silence or solitude, spending time meditating upon the scriptures, right? Or spending time thinking about and praying about um, who God is as it's revealed in the scriptures, right? Or I can spend time with God's people, right? And, and be nourished uh, in my relationships with God's people, but even in that, right, we're, we're encouraging one another, Right? As we come together around the scriptures and allow the scriptures um, to be spoken one to another and to encourage one to another. So the practice of the presence includes time in, in the word, 
time in prayer, right? And these things, right, um, that becomes then evidence in obedience to all of Christ's commands. I was with a guy this week who, um, before I knew him, uh, I haven't known him that long, um, before he, he came to our church, he was an elder in another church in another community, um, moved here, and then um, um, found himself in a just a, a just a just complete rebellion to the things of God. So he's sitting in my office the other day, and we're we're trying to trace back how he found himself in this situation, right? So on one hand, you'd look at the situation that he finds himself in, and you could look at just that thing and say, ah, this one thing that that you found yourself uh, doing, this is your root problem. But uh, but I know I've been doing this a little bit, uh, you know. <laughs> been around a little bit. Uh, no, that's not his root problem, right? Anybody from the surface would say, huh, just stop doing that and you'll be fine. So we just begin to trace. Talk to me about your relationship with Jesus. What do you mean talking about my relationship with Jesus? Like, I got to figure out how to stop doing this. No, talk to me about your relationship with Jesus. Talk to me about spending time with Jesus. Well, that seems so elementary. He had this look on his face like he was just confused. Tell me about your daily rhythms with the Lord. And it turned out that he hasn't consistently spent time with Jesus in over three years. And he's trying to figure out, how did I get to this place? How did I get to this place where I would, where I would find myself just so numb and, 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 and find myself into this place of self-destruction? And it's like, I, I can tell you how you got to this place. It's right here. Right here. Because you decided to stop practicing the presence of God. Stop coming together in regular fellowship with the Lord. Stop gathering together in your most important relationship. Well, no, I'm I'm here, I'm here to build my marriage. Okay. We'll build your marriage. But before I can build that, we've we got to rebuild your most important relationship. Because if we don't rebuild this, I can't rebuild that. Right? And we'll never rebuild that. We've got to rebuild this. Yeah, but that doesn't feel as urgent. Trust me, it's more urgent. Right? So, as the people of God, when we think about being sensitive to the presence of God, right? Again, because we live in a culture that... Um, all you got to do is flip on the news and you see emotion, 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 emotion. And I would argue that if, if my primary relationship with God is tethered to, objective, to an objective reality, an objective truth that was declared thousands of years ago, handed down generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, after generation it takes the emotion out of it. Right? doesn't mean I don't have emotional reactions to things. I'm an Italian after all. Most of my emotions are not healthy. And they've had to be confessed and repented of. Right? Doesn't mean I don't have emotion. Doesn't mean there, there isn't an emotion. But the basis of my experience and my relationship with the Lord has nothing to do with my emotion. It has nothing to do with how I feel in a moment. It has to do with 
disciplining myself to spend time right, with Him. Recognizing that He has revealed in the Scriptures everything I need to know about Him and that He has placed His Spirit within me. And we're going to see some, 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 some further texts right here in, the, in this flow here in John where, where Jesus expounds upon understanding of this helper that he's placed within us, right? The practice of, uh, of the presence includes time, word, and prayer. It's evidenced in obedience to all of his commands. Now you may say, well, how, how can I obey all of his commands? Well, just spend time in the word and obey as the Lord puts these things in your, in your, in your way, right? Flip down to John 15, 26, right? As Jesus goes on, he describes the, the helper a little bit more. He says this, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Right? So he now begins to describe some other things about being in the presence of this, uh, of this helper and the helper being in the presence of that will then mark the lives of these people. Like if you are spending time in the presence of the Spirit, right? And, I, and I've had people say to me, man, you don't understand the Spirit, right? You, you Baptist. You don't understand the Spirit. And it's like, okay, I guess I don't understand the Spirit. I just read the Bible, and this is what the Bible says about um, life in the Spirit, right? That, that the Spirit dwells within His people, right? Convicts them of sin, we're going to see in a minute, regenerates their hearts, and dwells with them forever. And then these are the things that we see happen, right? They, these people, they obey everything that God calls them to do. Right? That's evidence that they've been spending time with him. Number two, they bear witness. Right? That's what Jesus says. Right? Because you've been with me from the beginning. And I've sent now the Spirit. I'm going to send the Spirit. And he's going to come and he's going to help you. Now, you are going to bear witness. Which means he's going to empower you to bear witness. He's going to give you the words to say. Like all, all, all throughout the scriptures. Right? Um, uh, author after author says, just open your mouth and, and the Spirit will give you the words to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Now, that doesn't mean don't plan, but don't worry about what you're going to say because if you've spent time right in the Scriptures, God's going to give you the words to say. Right? You're going to bear witness to, what, to, to who I am and to what I've done and to what I'm doing and to where I'm leading humanity in the gospel. Boom. Right? That's what he says very clearly here in verse 27, or 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, who I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about, about me. And you say, well, how's the Spirit going to bear witness about me? And you will also bear witness, because the Spirit bears witness through the people of God. You will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Right? So the presence of the Spirit bears witness to Jesus and empowers His people to bear witness to Him as well. And then if you, if you, if you just look just a little bit further down, 
right? Chapter 16. All right, we're going to read a chunk here, verses 7 through 15. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Again, this is where they're probably like, what? It is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, if I did it your way, is what he's saying here, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. And you could see his disciples saying, that's okay. We don't want him anyway. We want you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Right? So the only way that the gospel work is accomplished is because the Spirit, the presence of God, continues to convict the world of sin, of judgment, and righteousness concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Right? So what Jesus is saying is, if I continue to do what I do, look, they don't believe in me. They're about to, they're about to nail me to a cross, man. They think I am a heretic of heretics to the point where uh, just a, 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 in a few chapters, if we keep reading, they are going to kill me. Right? Nobody believes that I am who I say I am. Right? So concerning sin, right? because they don't believe in me. They've rejected me. But the Spirit, part of God's plan, part of God's redemptive plan, is that I will be the sacrificial lamb. I will be the one that bears the wrath of God for the sin of the world. And then the Spirit will be the one that says, do you see the one that you killed? That was my son. That was the son of God who bore the wrath of God for the sin of the world. Place your faith in him. He will be the one, the Spirit will be the one, as part of God's redemptive plan, who will convict the world of sin. Right? Concerning righteousness, verse 10, because I go to the Father, you see me no longer. Right? If I don't go, the Spirit is not going to be living inside of you, conforming you to the righteousness, conforming you to the image of the Son. If I stay here, Jesus is saying, then the, the continuing transformative work that the Father desires to bring about in your lives will not happen. Because the Spirit won't dwell within you. And the Spirit dwelling in you is necessary for that work to continue to happen. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth, for He will speak, not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come, and He will glorify Me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I have said, he will take what is mine, and so forth, and so on. So the presence of the Spirit brings about the conviction of sin. It brings about regeneration and the ongoing transformation of the, uh, in the life of God's people. Right? Now, we have a tendency um, to look at peripheral things when it comes to the presence of the Spirit of God, the presence of God. In, in the life of God's people. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm not saying those things aren't um, 
aren't part of what uh, the Spirit of God produces in the lives of, of God's people, right? Obviously, the Spirit of God gifts God's people to serve. The Spirit of God empowers God's people to do tremendous things. Uh, part of my role now, so as Jeremy said, yeah, I, I at one point was a church planter. Um, I don't know if I, if God asked me to, I could plant maybe another congregation, maybe another congregation. I don't know if I have another congregation in me. But now I go around the world and I train guys. And so part of, part of going around the world is I'm in, some, I'm in some pretty unique places and I see some pretty unique things and hear some pretty unique stories. And, and I just hear some stories of how the Spirit of God has worked in the lives of people and I just I hold a lot of it with an open hand and just say, man, for an old Baptist preacher like that is, wow, amen, amen. I have not seen that firsthand, but amen, 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 right? And so the Spirit of God continues to work in and through the lives of people in tremendous ways. Our tendency is to focus on, on some of the, 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 the outer bands of how the Spirit of God works and think that that is the totality or that is, that is the pinnacle of the work of the Spirit of God. But really, the, I would argue that the pinnacle of the work of the Spirit of God is the indwelling presence in how He continues to, con- to convince the world of sin, of, of, of righteousness, of judgment, how he continues to conform all of God's people into the image and, uh, of the Son of God and how he continues to then, through them, bear witness to the world of who Jesus is and what Jesus longs to do. And for, for us, as God's people, right, it is critically important that we continue to spend time to be aware that that practicing the presence of God on a daily basis, right, on a regular basis, creating rhythms in our lives and being aware of what God is doing and where God is and, and how God is at work, um, creating those rhythms is, is of utter importance. So there's a daily rhythm for me, for you, that I'm spending time with the Lord, and, and as I'm spending time with the Lord daily, aware then of the Spirit's work in my life, I then become very attuned to what the Spirit of God is doing around me. And I become attuned then when I'm talking to people, how God is at work in their lives, and become attuned as a congregation. Man, here's how the Spirit of God is at work in our lives. Here's how the Spirit of God is at work in our city. Here's how the Spirit of God is at work in our community. And um, become very, very aware of that. And so I want to encourage you strongly if you are not spending time with the Lord, right? Pick up a Bible. You say, well, where do I start? I don't care. I really don't care. Pick up a Bible and start reading it, right? I started in the book of John and then went to Revelation. Like, it doesn't really, like, systematically I could tell you some better places to start than where I started. Two of the most confusing books in the Bible. But pick up a Bible. Come alongside somebody in this congregation, right, that you know, right? If you don't know anybody, grab Jeremy, grab Paul, grab Mike, grab, grab somebody, and just ask them, help me to begin to practice the presence of God. Teach me how to pray. The Scripture teaches us how to pray. The disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he began to teach them, this is how you pray, right? 
um, and learn these daily rhythms, which will then make you very, very aware of what God is, of who God is, of what God is doing, and how God wants to use you in the world. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to continue to worship the Lord together. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have not left us alone in the world, but that you have indeed um, redeemed a people to yourself for your glory, and that you have filled that, those very people with your spirit. And that they don't do anything to earn that, um, that that is something that you do for your honor, for your glory. And in filling those people with your spirit, Lord, in dwelling with your people, your desire is to conform them to the image of your son. Your desire is to continue to transform them um, so that they reflect your glory to the world. And your desire is to empower them with gifts um, so that they may serve uh, your purposes in the world. And that they may bear witness to who you are and all that you've done and all that you're doing. So, Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray for every man and woman and child in this congregation that you would continue to use them to bear witness in this community, in North Syracuse, for the 10,000 people in this neighborhood, that you would glorify yourself in this place, that you'd use renovation church, that you'd use the gathering place, that you'd use all sorts of um, um, congregations in this community who bear the name of Jesus for your glory. Father, we do pray for that team that's in Scotland. We ask that you protect them, and that you would use them, and that you'd be glorified in them. Lord, we thank you for who you are and all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.